0: Uh, This morning, we're going to spend most of our time in the first chapter of the book of Luke. You can go ahead and turn to the first chapter of Luke. It's right at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. We have begun this little short sermon series that I'm calling A Little Town Of. We're talking about those three main towns that um, kind of make up the, the context of the birth of Jesus story. Jerusalem and Nazareth and Bethlehem. Last week we talked about Jerusalem. Now, I mentioned that each town asks a question. And the question last week from the town of Jerusalem was, are you willing to accept a new king? And if you'll remember, there were some there that said, absolutely not. Most people there sort of ignored the question, but there were a few who said yes. Well, this morning we're going to be taking a look at the town of Nazareth, and the question that's asked by Nazareth. But let me start with the story. About a guy who was a poultry farmer, he raised chickens and he realized that people loved drumsticks. And he thought to himself, if I could somehow breed a chicken that had more legs, I could sell it for greater profits." So we went to work on trying to uh, genetically engineer a chicken with more legs and finally he succeeded. He was talking to a friend one day and said, "I have bred a chicken that has six legs." His friend said, "Wow, six-legged chicken. that's kind of amazing. How's it taste? said I have no idea I can't catch it oh you know it should come to really as no surprise that when something sounds too good to be true there's probably a catch this morning we're talking about a story and it's a story that sounds a little bit too good to be true and it's a story that sounds a little bit too unbelievable unbelievable to be real and yet it is true and it is real but it does come with a catch. Story begins before the foundations of the earth are even laid. But we're going to pick up the story in the town called Nazareth. By the way, has anyone here ever been to Nazareth? anybody ever? Okay, a couple people. Yeah, interesting. I never have. I would love to someday. Today, it's a city of between thirty or forty thousand people. Uh, lots to do in Nazareth. At, um, Places to eat and shops to shop at and places to stay. Tourism is by far the number one business in Nazareth today. 2,000 years ago, that was not the case. In the time of Mary and Joseph, Nazareth was incredibly insignificant, fought in Palestine. Probably less than 200 people lived in the town of Nazareth at that time which means the entire population of Nazareth would easily fit inside this auditorium. The Jewish Talmud uh, that uh, records the oral traditions of the rabbis mentions 64 different towns, cities, and villages in in and around Galilee during this period in history, never once mentions Nazareth. The Jewish historian Josephus, mentions 43 different cities and towns and villages in and around Galilee during this time in history never once mentions Nazareth you can read your Old Testament from the beginning to the end starting Genesis read all the way through Malachi never once will you even hear a reference to the town of Nazareth Nazareth sort of made mango look like the epicenter of commerce and technology you know it was it was a nothing kind of place Later, someone would shake their head and say, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, it was in this very obscure place that God taps two very insignificant people on the shoulder and gives them a pretty significant challenge. We're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. and give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. I want to stop right here for just a second and add a little bit of context to what's going on here. We're told that Mary was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. If you are reading from an older translation, you might see the word betrothed to a man named Joseph. Let me explain a little bit about what this means and what's going on in the uh, early Jewish times in, in, in first century. Marriage was very, very different than it is today in 21st century America. Uh, things were very different. There's really three stages of becoming husband and wife in and, and the marriage uh, part. Uh, it started with an engagement. And engagement usually happened really early in a couple's life, usually when when they were fairly young. And the engagement process was almost always taken care of by the parents. The parents got together and decided who their children were going to marry. Now those of you who aren't married yet, think about that for a minute. Wouldn't that be a little bit terrifying if your parents were to decide who you were going to marry? Those of us who are married, wouldn't it be a little bit terrifying to think who I might be sitting by had my parents made that decision and not me? It's kind of a terrifying proposition, isn't it? Or maybe not. I don't know. You know, the Jews thought that marriage was so important, it was too important to be left up to people who were young and immature and and maybe a little bit, you know, flighty. In fact, they would look at our system and say, you Americans are crazy. I mean, you give a teenager, you know, keys to a car and say, "Go out and find somebody," you know, "Go out and date someone and you know, fall in love and then you know, hope that you, you know, you know, you become committed and and hope this marriage works." They would say that's a recipe for disaster. You remember in the Old Testament, Isaac was 40 years old. His father Abraham sent a servant to go find a wife for him, and we're told that Isaac saw her, he married her. And he took her into his tent and loved her. And that was the order of events for in the Jewish system. Commitment first, the vow, the covenant, then marriage, and then emotions. We do it exactly opposite, right? I did it exactly opposite. I started with emotion, you know, hoping that it led to, to commitment. I don't know, maybe the Jews were on to something back then which is easy for me to say because I'm already married. I guarantee my sons would not say, yeah, let's do it that way again. But that that's, that's the position that, that, that Mary and Joseph were in. Uh, they were engaged, and then they became betrothed, pledged to each other. This lasted for a year. When someone was betrothed to someone else, they were legally married, but they didn't live together, and they didn't sleep together. That's why Joseph said, when he finds out in Matthew that Mary is pregnant, that he's planned on quietly divorcing her. That's why in the Old Testament, you read phrases like, a virgin who is a widow. That's someone who is betrothed to be married, but her husband has died. So Joseph and Mary are are betrothed. They're pledged to each other. But they haven't lived together. They haven't slept together. The final step would be the wedding, which was a big, big deal. Mary is betrothed, and she is making plans for the biggest day of her life. She's looking forward to the biggest day of her life, and trust me, in Nazareth for a young Jewish girl, there wasn't a whole lot of big days to look forward to. But Mary's excited about her her wedding day. In fact, Mary knows what her life is going to look like. She knows exactly how her life is going to play out. I'm going to marry Joseph. We're going to have children, I hope. I really hope we have a child, uh, especially a son, because that's important. And if we're blessed enough to have a son, I know what his name's going to be. It's going to be Joseph, because that was the the tradition, then to name the firstborn son after the father. So Mary knew, I'm going to get married to Joseph. I'm going to have children. I hope I have a lot of children. We're going to live here in Nazareth. poverty and we're going to do our best to honor God Mary's planning a wedding she's not planning a baby shower then an angel shows up and says Mary I have a new script for you I have a new story that I want you to consider which is really the question I have for Nazareth angel says this new script doesn't read like the script that you've written This is Nazareth's question. Will you join a new story? Will you join a different story? All the way back in the book of Genesis, third chapter of Genesis, we get a glimpse of God's plan to redeem mankind. Remember back in the third chapter of Genesis, God tells the serpent, Satan, through the woman's seed that you have tempted, I will bring a deliverer who will crush your head. All the way back in Genesis, God promises to mount a counterattack against hell. And it's going to begin, oddly enough, in this little obscure town called Nazareth. And it's going to begin with this very plain, ordinary young girl named Mary. God was looking for someone to say, yes, I will join you in a new story. By the way God is still looking for people who will say yes God I will join you in a new story Nazareth's question is an important question God wants to know will you join my story and the reason that the question is so important is because the nature of the story and it's a story that's really hard to understand and kind of wrap your mind around it's a story that a lot of people um, intellectually can understand it but it's hard to believe The angel says you're going to give birth to a son. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. And Mary's got to be thinking, you mean I'm going to be changing the diaper of the Son of God? Think about that for a minute. Notice her response. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. The story of the birth of Jesus is really hard to believe. Statler brothers had an old song that they sang, There are people who are whispering and the rumors are running wild. There's a woman who's not married, but she's going to have a child her name is Mary she's a virgin from down in Bethlehem now listen close she's gonna marry a man named Joseph but the baby's father is the Holy Ghost and the tagline of their song was who do you think could believe such a thing could believe that the story is true well here's hope into heaven you do now the story of the birth of Jesus really is a pretty hard story to believe unless you believe what the angel told Mary that nothing is impossible with God in fact you can't be a God follower unless you believe the story of the birth of Jesus John writes in 1st John chapter chapter 4 verse 2 this is how you can recognize the spirit of God every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. God's story involved pouring deity into humanity. There's no other story like it. There's absolutely no other story like it. It's a story that demands a response. It's a story that pulls you in. It's a story that keeps your attention. It's a story that that challenges you. It's a story that stays with you. It's a story that causes you to, to make some kinds of decisions. Several years ago, a psychologist named Holmes came up with what he called the stress test. You've probably heard of it. Probably most of you have taken it. It was pretty popular several years ago. This guy had a scale that he um, assigned points to the things that you might be going through in your life. Try to determine how much stress you were under. For instance, uh, getting married was 50 points. Losing your job was 35 points. Moving to a new town or city was 25 points. And he added up these points, and the, the scale was such that if you added up all the things you're going through in whatever season of life you were in, and your points equal 200 or above, you needed to change your lifestyle, because 200 points was kind of the line where he said this is kind of what people are made to be able to handle. Anything more than this, you're you know you're susceptible to a nervous breakdown or something. You got to change something if you got more than 200 points going on in your life. Well, somebody took his scale and applied it to Mary's life at this time in her, her her history. 40 points for finding out you're pregnant. 20 more because it's an unplanned pregnancy. More points for telling your parents and explaining it to your fiancé. 50 points for throwing together a wedding. Points for traveling while you're pregnant. More points for having nowhere to stay. Big points for finding that someone wants to harm the child that you've just given birth to. More points for hitting the road and uh, living as a refugee. When they added it all up, Mary's score was 434. Remember, 200 is supposed to be where life is kind of overwhelming. Mary's at a stress level of 434. Do you think she understood everything that was going on? Do you think she understood everything that was happening to her in that moment? know that Do uh, you think she understood the political and, and the social certainly the, the spiritual ramifications that she was going to give birth to the Son of God think she understood what was happening when an angel was talking to her talking about the Holy Spirit think she understood that 2,000 years later we don't understand them Do you really think she understood what was happening everything I guarantee she understand everything that was happening But here's what she did understand. If I say yes to this proposition, it means I've got to say no to every other dream I've ever had. If I say yes, it means a life of scandal for me. It means whispers and rumors, people pointing their finger behind my back for the rest of my life. Now really it's pretty amazing when you think about it. God's eternal plan to bring mankind back to him. God's plan to redeem humanity is waiting on the response of a teenage Jewish girl living in Nazareth. What's she going to say? How's she going to respond? Will you join a new story? Here's what she says. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Mary, will you join a new story? I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said. Martin Luther said there was three miracles surrounding the birth of Jesus. One, that God became man. Two, that a virgin gave birth. And three, that Mary said yes. It's an amazing story. Here's the deal. God comes into our lives, and he says, I've got a brand new story that I want you to be a part of, and when we hear that, we begin praying the world's most famous prayer. Thy will be changed. That's our prayer. Thy will be changed. God, I don't like my health. Change it. I don't like my job, change it. I don't like my finances, change them. I don't like my spouse, change them. I don't like my children, change them. I don't like my church, change them. We're really good at praying that prayer. God, join me in my story. I want you to join me in my story. We're very slow to pray, God, I want to join you in your story. What do you want me to do in this situation how can you use me right here how can you change me to be a part of your story and bring glory to you now our typical prayers I don't like it change it and then every now and then we see somebody who is such a sold-out God lover like Mary who says thy will be done Whatever it is, thy will be done. That's Mary's prayer. That's what Mary prays at the birth of her son. And it's the same prayer that her son prays at his death. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? His prayer to the Father was, thy will be done. I don't think it was the first time he prayed that prayer. I don't think it was the first time he heard that prayer. I would like to think that Jesus learned that prayer from his mom. You know, when we believe this story, when people sign up for this story, they sign up for this wild, wonderful adventure. And people who believe the story find themselves doing things that other people don't understand. People who believe the story of Jesus and want to be a part of that story find themselves living in ways that other people kind of scratch their head. Why do you do what you do? Why do you live like you live? Let me wrap up with one more story. True story. A man named Neville Thomas was a public prosecutor in the city of Atlanta. Had been for 15 years. It was his job to put the bad guys behind bars. Every now and then he and his firm were asked to defend someone and In one particular instance, they were asked to defend a young man, 20 years old, who was uh, charged with first-degree murder. This 20-year-old fella, a known drug user, bragged to a couple of his friends one afternoon, I'm going to go out and I'm going to blow away the first person I see. He walked out on the streets of Atlanta, saw an 18-year-old high school student walking towards him. The young man had a backpack slung over his shoulder, was carrying a musical instrument in a case. 20-year-old guy said what's in the case not wanting to have a confrontation the high school student just walked on by at which point the other fella took out a handgun and shot him in the back and killed him how do you defend someone like that There really is no defense couldn't say that he didn't do it couldn't say that it wasn't premeditated the young man was uh, guilty found guilty of first-degree murder at the sentencing portion of the trial The victim's parents, or victim's family at least, were allowed to speak. And the mother of the young boy who was murdered stood up and faced the the young man who, who murdered her son. And she said, today you need forgiveness from two people. You need forgiveness from the mother of the boy you killed. And you need forgiveness from God. I am here today to forgive you. The courtroom was stunned. The young man sat at the table just kind of smirking like, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. At which point that mother turned and walked over to where his mother sat in the front row of the courtroom. She looked at his mother and she said, Your son killed my son. You don't know me. You didn't know my son. But today we both share a tremendous loss me the mother of a child who was senselessly killed you the mother of a child who did the killing and I don't know which of us bears the greater burden at which point she leaned over the small rail that separated them and hugged the mother of the boy who killed her son Neville Thomas said I was stunned So I walked into that courtroom that day on top of my game. One of the top lawyers in the state of Georgia. Graduated first in my class from the University of Georgia. Passed the bar exam on the first try. I thought I'd seen it all. I'd never seen anything like that. And I sat there and realized there is no power on earth that would make that woman do what she just did. There's absolutely no power on earth that would make the mother of a boy who was killed hug the mother of the boy who killed him and he said that was my last case I walked away from the law and I went on a search for God make no mistake when you join this story you're signing up for a life of risk a life of sacrifice and a life a lot of people aren't gonna understand It's not going to make sense to a lot of people, but it's worth it. It's worth it when you read how the story ends. And that's the great thing about this story that God's asking us to be a part of. He allows us to know how the story ends. It has an incredible ending. Mary, Joseph, the town of Nazareth, a baby. kind of an odd way to start the story. But the end of the story is amazing. Because Mary knew that the author of the story was also the perfector of the story. See, the first time he came, he's kind of hard to see, he's wrapped up in, in in rags. The next time he comes, everybody will see him. The first time he came, he, he cooed and he cried, he made baby noises. The next time he comes, the whole world will tremble at his voice. The first time he came, there was a judgment on his head. The next time he comes, he'll be the judge. The first time he came, worship to him was optional. The next time he comes, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess him as Lord. That angel told Mary his rule, his reign, his kingdom will never end. Every town has a question. Every question demands a response. Nazareth's question, will you join a new story? Will you join God's story? Now, we love love for God to join our story. Will you join his story? Now, I'll tell you something. God's story is going to be finished whether you join it or not. God's story is going to play out like he's deemed it to play out, whether you join it or not. But it will be so much better if we join it. If we join him in his story. Get on his page. Question for the morning. Whose story are you living? You live in your story? Or you live in God's story? Let's stand and sing.